when you have the a number one right person in the right seat, it, it can make all the difference. And when you don't, it can be tough for both sides. You know, it can be frustrating for, some, for somebody who's in the wrong seat or who's not aligned with where you are, or where you're going, that that can be really frustrating too. And so people talk about how important hiring is. I think that that's, it's magnified. It's absolutely amplified in a startup. Welcome to SaaS Origin Stories. Tune in to hear authentic conversations with founders as they share stories from the earlier days of their SaaS startups. We'll cover painful challenges, early wins, and actionable takeaways. You'll hear firsthand the do's and don'ts of building and growing a SaaS, as well as inspirational stories to fuel you on your own SaaS journey. Here is your host, Phil Alves. Today I have Lindsay Checkman from Casted. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. Thanks so much. I'm I'm happy to be here. It's be great. Yeah. So the first question that I like to ask our guests, it's like, tell me a little bit about your product, your SaaS product, and what problem does it solve? Sure. So we are a marketing technology platform. We're a SaaS product uh, made specifically for B2B marketers to empower them to both maximize and also measure the power of their rich, creative, connected content, much like this, their audio and video content to say, how can you get more out of it? How can you drive real value for the business? Um, in short, that's, that's what we exist to do. Okay. So, so let's walk me through like a use, user case. So like, let's say, who is the ideal user of the product and how the, he would use the product? Sure. So we are made for B2B marketing teams. Um, typically, the decision maker is like a VP of marketing and then their team of marketing managers, content marketing managers, um, people on, on that team um, that already have a podcast and um, quite often are also doing some other video content as well, some webinars, some virtual events, um, but have a show like this. Um, and they typically use our platform to um, not only get the show out into the world, to disseminate it out to Apple, Spotify, Google, YouTube, but also get more value out of it to break it down um, into bits and pieces and clips and key takeaways and amplify it across multiple other channels and also understand who is engaging, how they're engaging and how it's driving business revenue. Makes sense. That's awesome. And so how did you come up with the idea? So I had a lived experience. So my background is marketing. I, I was a marketer, a B2B marketer for 15, 20 years before starting Casted um, and was like many of our customers. I was running a show. My team and I were, were doing a podcast and I was just really shocked at the fact that something like Casted didn't already exist, that you create a podcast, um, you you publish it on some hosting platform, and then you kind of have to walk away and and share a link on social media, hoping that people will, will engage. Um, I was really shocked that there was no way to take that content that was that was a podcast or it was a video and use it in other ways easily without the help of other teams or agencies or vendors. I couldn't create a clip easily. I couldn't get a transcript easily. I couldn't do other things with that content um, that I saw a lot of value in. So I knew I was leaving a lot of uh, a lot of value behind on the table that um, that I just couldn't unlock. And I also couldn't share with my CEO or my CMO what kind of value it was delivering to the business. I, I, number of downloads doesn't mean a whole lot to a CEO, right? Um, yeah, but how, how's it generating revenue? And so that challenge turned into um, a real roadblock for us. And I said, you know, if, if I'm having this problem and our brand is having this problem, I'm sure other people are too. And that just ballooned into an opportunity that I couldn't walk away from. 
so you had a job, you saw that, it, that there was a, a huge need because your job was hard to do it, basically, because you couldn't do everything they want to do because there wasn't a tool that did that. So you have to like maybe be using different tools and you, and you felt like, okay, this should live in my podcast hosting platform. That's where I should be able to do all of that. And so, okay, you found the need. What did you do? You quit your job and want to build your SaaS? Did you go and raise money? Walk me through the process. Like, okay, now you know, and you feel that pain yourself. What, what's the next step to, to start your company? Yeah. So um, I was feeling the pain. As, just as you mentioned, we were uh, doing a mix of one-off tools and point solutions, some manual work, and some can just not doing other things that I knew were important. Um, and so the the first big step to doing what ended up being you know, starting Casted was I actually talked to a venture studio here in Indianapolis. Um, I talked to Scott Dorsey, who started Exact Target, grew it, sold it to Salesforce. He's running, um, he and some partners are running a venture studio here in Indianapolis called High Alpha. And we were talking about this need and this challenge and this opportunity in the market and what's next for B2B podcasting and what's next for content marketing in the world of B2B. And I said, hey, yeah, B2B podcasts are huge, but that's just the start. That's just the beginning of something so much bigger. Um, here's really what I envision, which is now today something I call amplified marketing, which says start with content like this. Start with podcasts and, and video content. Use that as the center of your fully integrated marketing strategy. Ring it out across multiple channels. Understand the impact that it has on the business. Oh, by the way, in order for that vision to come to life, this SaaS platform needs to exist. And the more he and I talked, the more I realized, yeah, this is a company. And um, he was excited enough about it, too, to say, like, why don't you start it as part of the Venture Studio? And so that that was the first step in this direction of leaving my job and um, kind of stepping foot into this role as founder and CEO. So what is a venture studio? Sorry. Sure. Not very familiar with that. <laughs> yeah. So it's um, basically we, I was able to leave my, my job and come start cast it, what is now casted um, with the, the nest, if you will, this, uh, this support that kind of surrounded me as a founder um, with more resources and with more expertise than I would have on my own. So as it, becoming part of the studio, we had a little bit of startup capital, and then I had access to Scott and his other partners who have started and grown many other companies. So they have that expertise. Um as well as some of the studio resources, like how to get things started from a finance perspective and a business and corporation perspective and recruiting and some support in just getting the, the business stood up um, so that I could focus on the vision of the company and with my, my co-founder getting an MVP up and going. So that's this concept of a venture studio is... Um, other other iterations of it look like an accelerator or something like that, but the studio is a little bit more intensive, um, and it let me make this leap in a way that really made sense for me. So it's basically a vision of, version of incubator, right? So. Yeah, I, I would call it my own words. I don't know how they would um, define it this way, but it's a little bit it's more intensive, more long term than an incubator. Makes so, sense. Yeah. So, so how how hard was for you to quit your job? Of course, you met Scott, and he's like, "Okay, come over. You have all this structure. I'll give you some money." But I'm sure that money wasn't enough to replace your income. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was terrifying and exhilarating all at the same time. I 
I am solving a problem that I had and in, in a world that I'm very passionate about. Marketing's all I've ever done. B2B marketing's all I've ever done. Um, I know this world. I love this world. I've, I've grown up in this world and feel very, very passionate about what needs to happen from here forward um, to disrupt the status quo that we've all been dealing with and a lot of the problems that we as B2B marketers have been dealing with. So that I'm hugely passionate about. That's a no-brainer. Um, leaving all I had known as a as a marketer and then marketing leader um, to come be a first-time founder and CEO, that was a little bit scary. And to create something that never existed before, that's, that's a little daunting. But um, yeah, it, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done, one of the hardest decisions I've ever made. But at the same time, it was, it was a no-brainer because once I, I always say once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. I couldn't not do it, if that makes sense. Yes. So, and, and I think I see a lot of people like like in your shoes where they see something, and, and it's like you say, Dunton. It's a little bit they get afraid of doing making the next step. You still did. So, like, what tips do you have for people that maybe are thinking about taking the next step, like going on their own? It was yeah. your first time being CEO, your first time being a founder. What kind of like conversations you had inside your head yeah. that like help you go and like keep going? To me. I already knew it was a good idea. I already knew that I had this potential partnership with the venture studio. So I already, there was already a path forward for me um, and for Casted and, and for this company. And as I was still saying, okay, well, am I going to do this? Is this what's right for my career and for my family and for my personal life and for my professional development? Um, and the question that I asked myself that I would advise other people to do the same is, what, what if I don't? Right. Um, I think we quite often say, like, what, what's going to happen when I do? Like, how, how's this going to work when I do? But you have a choice. And, and one of those choices is to not do it and to to stay in your role and to do something else. And um, and the thought then of somebody else doing it instead of me seeing this company come to life and 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 what it what it does, whether it was successful or a failure. Like, I just I couldn't bear the thought of somebody else doing it like I. I wanted to build this thing, um, even though that felt really risky and, and pretty scary um, and, and and daunting on many levels. I I just couldn't bear the there, there came a point where I couldn't bear the thought of not doing it. Um, sure, I could keep doing my job. I could keep keep down the path that I was on. But the what ifs of what if I don't do this? Like, what if I never see this vision through? What if I never pursue this dream? What if I never pursue this opportunity? Um the regret that would go with that, I don't, I don't think I could have lived with very well. Yeah, I think that's a great way to, to see and, and to think about opportunities. Like, am I going to be more frustrated if I do it and fail or if I never do it? <laughs> you yes. know, that's, that's basically your, your thinking. And you're like, I guess I'm going to be more frustrated if I never do it. Yeah. So I, I'm doing this. And I think that's a great way to, to make decisions. So why do you think you were the right founder uh, for, for the product? I am weirdly passionate about it, about this, this problem that we're solving and this company that we're building and the solution that we've created. Um, I am uniquely prepared for it. You know, I spent 15 years as a B2B marketer, large companies, small companies, agencies, global, local, everything in between, a bunch of different verticals and industries. But I know B2B marketing. And I especially know B2B brand building and B2B content marketing. Um, I know it so well that I know what needs to change. And I know I can empathize with our customers because I've lived their lives. I've, I've been 
in the manager's shoes. I've been in the specialist shoes. I've been in the marketing leader's shoes and the VP's shoes. Like I've, I've, I've lived it on so many levels um, that I know, I, I know so deeply what's broken and what can be fixed and how it needs to be fixed in a way that makes sense for the marketer and for the team and for the brand. Um, and I have a vision and, and something I'm really excited about for how I think it could be looking forward. Um, not just what does the software need to be, but what what does the the next generation of B2B content marketing need to look like and how do we get there? And I think that you need that level of conviction and that level of understanding of the world that you're stepping into um, if you're going to jump into the founder seat. I, I agree with you. I believe like being a real industry expert, knowing the industry inside out, yeah. it's it's really going to set you apart because now you're not relying on other people to, to know. Of course, as you build your product, we're still going to interview your customers and stuff, but you understand your customers in a way uh, that's so deep because you have 15 years of experience. And so who built the first version of your product and how, how it was, how long did it take? Walk me to the process because it's usually pretty hard to get something out there. Yeah. So um, I have, <clears throat> excuse me, I have a co-founder who heads up the product side of the business. Um, and originally we had a, another co-founder as well who had up kind of the revenue side of the business. And the three of us together um, did something that I would recommend for all startup teams to do which is I spent the first five to seven weeks just talking to people, um, talking to other marketers, like, have you experienced this? Would you do a podcast? Why? Why not? Have you? Haven't you? What would you want to see in a platform? What kind of challenges have you seen? Just just to overcome some of my own biases and check some of my assumptions um, and start to understand, too, what would people want? What would people pay for? Um, took a ton of notes and those notes turned into two things. One was a set of ideas that we could start to prioritize for our MVP. And two is it became our first, our earliest version of our CRM and our prospect list because we had people that were excited and said, hey, if you do build that thing, by the way, let me know. I'm, I'm really excited to watch this come together. And so I really think that that's a good place to start. Then you get people who are a little bit bought in, either literally or figuratively. And then um, we made sure that we were able to to hone in on on only the one or two features that were the most important, and um, that's that's where we started. And then we built on it from there. It took us about sixty days to sign our first customer, and about a hundred days total before we had a product in there in in the market. That's awesome. So you guys just spent seven weeks in product discovery, and even though you had. Uh a co-founder that was the product person. Now, at this point, everyone is doing product discovery because you guys are working together to figure out what's our MVP. And then, of course, there were so many ideas. How did you guys got together and it was like, this is the only thing we're going to build? Because 60 days to build that first version, that's pretty impressive, uh, especially for a small team. Uh, and I... I I expect the guys to have points for a lot of conversations to figure out what are those two features that guys have to do. How, how was the process? Um, like I said, I, I came back with tons of notes. I mean, pages and pages and pages and pages and pages and pages of notes that similar similar ideas got plus one and um, rose to the top. And um, I got super excited. I mean, the, the the platform that we have today, three and a half years later, is what I envisioned from day one, you know, and obviously we're still growing and it'll, it'll be something different and more and bigger and more massive five years from now. But but what we have today is is kind of like where I thought maybe we could start. But my co-founder was like, less. Okay, cool, but less. 
what's one thing we could remove? Okay, less, less, less until we got down to the very bare minimum. And where we started was um, clipping and sharing of B2B podcasts. And then we added hosting and then we added transcription and then we added premium transcription and we just kept adding to it from there. But we we just quickly asked a bunch of questions to get to the root of what's the fastest thing we could build that would add the most value that people would pay for. Um, and then how can we have a nice solid roadmap from there to keep people excited about what's coming next? Yes. So, so you felt like, okay, clipping and sharing is a big enough pain that even if you don't have any, all the other things in my vision, people are going to start using because it's, it's so hard to clip and share podcasts right now. And, right. and that's kind of like where you guys started. It's something that people are going to use, even if they, we don't have all the features. And so let's talk about the first customers. I love it that you are interviewing people and put them in a wait list and like they become the first few customers. Let's talk about like, how many of those people sign up and how it was getting your first 10 customers and then get, getting your first 100 customers? Goodness. I mean, I think when you're in this early stage, and I still definitely put us here, is um, you're learning from every single conversation. You're learning from every win and every loss. Um, and the, the earliest customers are different than the ones you'll get later in that you're very early. You mentioned your first 10 they're in many ways investors, right? They're, they are a totally different breed of customers than you will be working with or you'll be acquiring you know, years down the road, 100 customers later. These are the ones that see the roadmap and they're like, okay, I get it. I get it that you barely have something to log into today, but I see the value in what you're building. I believe in your ability to, to get it there. And I have enough of a need or at least enough of an interest to join in on what you're doing to pay you some money or to join your pilot or whatever, however your business is formatted, because I want in and I want to be able to help um, shape the roadmap to get out of it what I want. And so I think that it's really important for our founders to know that those earliest customers are going to be a different breed. They're going to, like I said, basically be a version of investor. Let me stop you here before yeah. I talk about the 100 customers, because I think that's very, very valuable. I agree with you. Like those first 10 customers, they're the investors. They, they have to buy into your vision. How did you find them? How did you find those first 10 before we talk about the next 100? Those conversations, I'm telling you, those um, reaching out to my network and then asking who else I should talk to and and being really clear that, hey, look, I'm, I'm not trying to sell you something. If 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 you end up being excited enough about what I'm what this company that I'm building is, is doing, cool. Of course, I'd love to have you as a first customer, but um, let's talk first about what you would want to see, what you're seeing in the market. Do you align with this vision? And, you know, some of those turn into very, like, cut and dry conversations. And of course, you know, I try to keep them warm later, but some of them were, hey, keep me posted about this. What you're doing is really cool. Or, I really love this. I love, I, I, I love how you're approaching this. I, I really want to see you succeed. Those are the people that you really, you just got to keep close and keep in, um, keep informed and keep in the loop so that eventually when the time is right, they'll, they'll jump on board officially. Yeah. So, so if I'm understanding right, being the, the space for so long, you build a, a big net network. And at this point, you're leveraging your network and you're talking to people about your product. And this is how you're bringing and how you're finding those what you're calling the investor customers. It's, it's, they're coming from your network. Yep. My network and then their networks and then their networks and just being really um, bullish enough and bold enough to ask 
for more conversations and to ask for more introductions. And I think that you have to be really um, approachable. And if you say that you're not going to try to sell something, don't lie. <laughs> don't try to sell something. I, mean, I, I just really had good conversations and said, hey, we're, you know, I'm, I'm a marketer just like you. I'm building this thing because I see a problem. Here's the vision of it. You know, how does this land with you? Does this resonate? What would you want to see? If you had a magic wand, what would this look like to you? And, um, you know, end it with like, if, hey, if you're interested, I'm happy to keep you in the loop. Otherwise, you know, thank you so much for your time. And don't try to close them if you're Look, if you promise that you are just doing research and quite often, if you're talking to the right people and if you talk to enough people, I mean, those hundred conversations turned into the first hand, very small handful of customers. Um, and I think that's that's how you got to walk into it. That's the expectation that you need to have for those discussions. Nice. And let's talk about now the next hundred customers and maybe as you're putting together a little bit of more. Uh, official marketing channels, like what, what those channels were and how they work uh, and, and how, how did you go about that? Yeah, well, we have always set out to be our own best use case, right? So we started a podcast and um, started conversations and started some content marketing and, and built a str- set out to build a strong inbound engine and um, and just do a good job of sharing thought leadership, casting a vision, um, and like I said, being our own best use case. And that uh, followed up with um, some some good outreach and some follow through on those initial conversations and um, really capitalizing on the customers that we were able to bring in and say like, hey, let's bring them on the show. Let's bring them on the podcast. Let's talk about what we're doing together. That engine starts to rev and it, it starts to really to really kind of speed up on its own. Um, it was not magic. <laughs> it, it, with that, it absolutely was accompanied by a ton of work and outbound, um, a lot of founder selling, a lot of outreach to um, people that we knew needed to be customers and that we could really help serve and just using that content to prove the value that we could deliver and to get people excited and then following through with like, Hey, this is, this is something we really think we should do. What do we need? What needs to be true to make it happen? So it looks like it's a mix of content marketing and and outbound. Yes. That's kind of like how how you guys went about And, And did you spend any money paid or was more, more like organic? More organic. We didn't do paid. Um, and just a little bit until much later, much, much later. And did some of your uh, podcast guests end up becoming customers too? Or, or how, how did I go? Yes. Um, yes. And then also the other way around, we, we highlighted existing customers on the podcast. I am a big proponent of your podcast being a way to build relationships and to establish establish and strengthen connections. But what I what I am not an advocate of is saying, hey, bring people on that you want to sell to and use it as a lead gen to say, like, hey, come on my podcast. I'm going to sell to you. I think that that's um, your guests will know that and feel it and your listeners will know it and feel it too. But if you're talking to someone and it leads to a really natural conversation and you build a good relationship and afterwards you follow up and say like, hey, um, you know, I, I feel like there was some interest here. Do you want to keep the conversation going? Um, there's definitely opportunity to build relationships there, um, but not as a primary reason to do the show. Yeah, for sure. Because, yeah, that, that would be kind of weird. Like, come here and then let me say something before you go. It, ha- it happens a lot. It happens a lot. Yes, it happens a lot. Yeah. And so could you share like a failure of the early days of your company and, and how you guys overcome? 
Well, I think, you know, ongoing, I mean, we're, we're failing and learning all the time. Um, if you're not failing and learning, you're not growing. But I think the importance of um, staying really close to customers, um, doing everything that I just mentioned, you know, having those conversations, knowing that you don't know everything, but that you need to stay close with your customers in the market because they're the ones really who matter. Um, the answers are not in my head. They're in the heads of our customers and our um, and in our market. Uh, that's really important. Um, anytime that we or any business I've been a part of starts to forget about that, that's when you start to go down a rabbit hole and maybe it's the wrong way. Um, and then just the the ongoing importance of making sure that you've got the right people on the team and in the right seats um, as you go. Like startup life and the specific stages you're at as you grow as a startup are different. Like bringing someone in from a really large company into a startup, there's going to be some bumps. Um, and there's going to be different expectations of a person that comes from a really large company jumping into a startup of what kind of resources you'll have available, what kind of headcount you'll have available, what kind of budget and, and time you have. Um, so I think that that's, that's been a learning too, uh, making sure that you're really, really intentional about bringing the right people in, making sure that they understand where you're at, what you're able to offer them and what you expect from them and how you're able to work together, what you need from each other, um, and making sure you continue to have the right people in the right seats. It's, that is so, so, so important. So did you guys brought someone from a big company and it was kind of like strange, the person maybe was in the wrong seat? No, I, would, I just think um, kind of all, all throughout the company in different roles and then, you know, throughout my career as well, um, when you have the a number one right person in the right seat it, it can make all the difference and when you don't um it can be tough for both sides you know it can be frustrating for, some, for somebody who's in the wrong seat or who's who's not aligned with where you are or where you're going that that can be really frustrating too and so um yeah i think that's just kind of a learning from all of the the roles that i've been in how important people talk about how important hiring is and um i think that that's it's magnified it's absolutely amplified in a startup yeah, for sure. And in the startup, everyone counts, right? I like to say there's nowhere, yes. no, nowhere to hide. Everyone's important. If someone yep. doesn't show up to work, it's noticeable. But it's also unavoidable that you're going to make a mistake in hiring as important it is. I think, I think everyone is telling you that's so important because everyone had made a mistake and it was super hard to overcome and to walk through. So like, could you maybe share some of your thoughts on how to go about when you realize you just made the wrong hire? Oh man, I don't know about that, but I think um, I think it's me like before before you make a hire, right? Making sure that everyone's aligned on why that hire is being made, what's expected of the role, um, what is what is possible, even with the perfect person in that role versus what's not. You know, there's no such thing as you are 100 percent right that in a startup everybody makes an impact. Everybody has the ability to to really truly make a noticeable impact on the business. Um, yet no one is a silver bullet. No, no one person can or should be the hero. And so make a, make sure that as a leadership team you're really aligned on what that role is who who would be the right person in the seat? What is the seat? Where is the seat on the bus? Um, what is the budget for that role, especially now? You know, the, the things are all over the place in the market, in the hiring market. So alignment um, from a leadership team, alignment with the hiring manager, and alignment with the goals of the business for what's possible for this role are super important. Um, and, and with your board, too. Make sure that, especially for some of your senior senior hires, um, 
this is who we're, this is what we're hiring for. This is what we expect. Are we all aligned here before we bring someone in? And we think they're doing really great. And you think that they're not achieving this unrealistic goal that you thought they would or vice versa. You know, you think you're doing what that they're doing well. Um, but within the team, it doesn't feel like a fit. Um, that alignment, even before you open a rack and even before you uh, start uh, interviewing or definitely make a hire, make sure that, that alignment is there. For sure. And what has been the biggest challenge to date? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> starting a business right before a pandemic and trying to grow it through a recession. Um, I think that has been <laughs> that's been the hardest part. Um, truly. I mean, the the we started April 2019, um, announced our seed round, closing our seed round right before the pandemic, raised Series A March 2021. And, you know, here we are in the midst of a recession. And um, it's been really tough. It's been really tough. Um for marketing budgets, and that's our customers. It's been tough um, trying to fan the flame of, of this kind of next generation of B2B marketing uh, amongst people that think that it's really great and it's really resonating with, but they don't have always, you know, budgets to spend. Budget, budgets are kind of coming and going. Um, and trying to uh, grow a team and nurture a culture in the midst of we were all in office, kind of hybrid before hybrid was a thing. And then we were all remote in the midst of a pandemic. And now we're hybrid uh, on the other side of it. And um, that presents its own opportunities and challenges, too. So, man, I think to sum it all up, trying to be um, a first time founder in the midst of the last three years has been quite a roller coaster for sure. For sure. Yeah. The market's definitely kind of weird. And at night, I was listening to a book, and I think it was Intel founder that said, in, in crisis, bad companies die, good companies survive, and great companies improve. Uh -huh. you, you know, And so you were able to go and, and raise money in 2021. Uh, I know evaluations were going lower. Investors are worried about investing in companies. So, so how, how did you make that happen? Uh, why do you think? Because even in my, my own uh, consulting firm, we had a lot of customers that couldn't raise uh, the next round, and then they have to really reduce the spending. Uh, you still were able to make it. Uh, how did you do it? I think it, what's really important is is the the vision that you cast and the um, the passion that you have for what you're going to build, and then especially you know we were raising Series A, being able to show the track record of of success and saying, look, these are the the great logos, these are the great customers and, and brands that are on board with what we're doing. Um, this is the success that we've had thus far. This is why we have reason to believe that it's going to continue. Um, this is what we see as the opportunity moving forward and how we are seizing our opportunity to be the first mover in this space. Um, and, you know, the other side of it is just having a ton of conversations. You know, I mean, it's, raising money is hard and it takes a long time. It takes a lot of conversations. It takes just relentless um, optimism and passion about what you're doing and um, a, a, a unwillingness to accept that there will be any other way. And, you know, we'll see what happens with this, with the recession um, in the mix now. But I think that that's regardless of what happens with valuations and what happens with um, the markets, um, those things are foundational. For sure, for sure. Thank you for sharing that. And let's touch a little bit, another point that you talk about. You say marketing budget goes down in recession. And it looks like the first 
people go cutting off. It's their marketing budget. What's your opinion on that? And how you think companies should handle it? You know, it's funny. I, I had just entered the job market in the 2008 recession. I, I had just graduated from college, and I didn't quite understand what was happening then. All I knew was that I, I was this scrappy kid right out of college that didn't know any better. I was like, sure, I'll work all the hours and do all the things with no budget and no teammates. And now, you know, here I am leading a company later in this recession. And, you know, I've, I've seen, I've seen it happen in many ways, shapes or forms over the years where um, marketing gets cut first. And it makes sense. It's a big spend um, for any company. It's, it's always a large portion of, of whatever budget the, the company has just in its nature. Um, and in some ways that makes sense to be prudent and to make sure that your marketing dollars are going, are most likely to be going to the things that are most likely to drive the business forward. On the other hand, we also hear about this and I've absolutely seen it to be true. Many businesses shoot themselves in the foot by, by cutting marketing budgets, um, too severely, uh, to take care of the right now problem at the cost of t tomorrow's opportunity, um, so I think in, in short, make sure that you're focused on the things that matter. You're focused on the things that are going to create long-term connection and are going to not only attain, but retain the customers that you need to grow on the other side of this thing. Yeah, I, I think like at the end of the day, if we can track marketing better, it's going to be easier to keep going, right? Because when the recession comes, the it's all the initiatives that you don't have a way to show ROI that very quickly that that's being cut down. So I, I think a product like yours where you're looking about, okay, where is the revenue coming from? How is this working? It helps because at the end of the day, like in my own company, I'm like, okay, how, what's working? Right. This, 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 what is the, what are the experiments? Okay. We aren't doing experiments guys. We're going to do what's working, but in my company I actually put more money. In what's working. Yeah. I like, okay, move all the money on what's working experiment later. Um, so that's why I think it's important for marketers is to kind of like be able to understand and be able to show what's working and what's the experiment. Because at the end of the day, marketing is also a lot about experimenting. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost entirely an experiment, right? Because things and things will change. I mean, what works, what worked yesterday probably won't work tomorrow or maybe it will. We don't know. And so I think that being willing to be nimble, um, being bold in the actions you're going to take, being confident enough in the things that you're going to base your strategy on and giving things time, you know, giving things time to play out and, and say, okay, what do we think that this influenced? How do we think that this made an impact? How do we know that it's working or not? Um, and where are we most likely to reach the people that we absolutely need to reach in a meaningful way? For sure. Yeah. And maybe even like, because it's all about experiment, maybe you have to, even as you reduce, you have to think about what, I still have to be doing a little bit of experiments, yeah. right? Because if I stop doing all together, it's it's a problem. So if you could go back to 2019 when you start this company and meet yourself, you have just one hour with yourself. Yeah. I mean, you have one hour to talk about business. You maybe going to have another hour to talk about other stuff, but how are you going to spend your hour that you're going to talk about business with yourself? Believe <laughs> in the vision. It's real. Uh, I would say that. And I would say some of the things that we've already talked about, like be really intentional um, about how how you grow, uh, about, you know, the customers you bring in, the team that you build, the product that you build, and be 
bullish and take action and move fast, but also be intentional and cautious and make the right decisions. Um, follow your gut. I think that's another thing that we don't we don't always listen to enough as founders, as people in general, because I think that we are and should be data driven. Um, we, we talk a lot about being data driven and, and how data um, should influence our, our paths in, in business and in marketing. Um, that's absolutely true. But we, you know what else is data? Your gut, your instinct. Um, it's based on your entire life. It's based on your entire career of um, of, of um, experiences and lived moments. Um, so your gut, your instinct is is a computer in many ways. And so rely on it uh, to make decisions. So. Yes, for sure. Because I feel like your gut, it's basically, it's your mind working the background, making those decisions. It's just not out of nowhere. So yes. Sometimes one thing that I like to do is like, I'm going to go on a walk or somewhere and not think about the problem I have to solve because I know that I'm actually thinking about the problem in the background. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and a solution is going to come. Yep. And if you overthink yeah. it, you're, you're going to put yourself in a rabbit hole and you're not going to make your best decision. And you have to take care of yourself. You have to step away literally and figuratively, right? Take a walk, go get some fresh air and sleep. And that clarity provides um, a lot of, a lot of wisdom. Could you share like, you guys are three years in the market right now, right? Yep. Could you share like the first oh shit moment that comes to mind? No, I mean, I think, you know, when you inevitably you're going to have some customers churn, right? And I think when I don't even remember the first time that happened, it was a while. But the first customer that we lost, it was like, oh, no, this is a real thing. Like, we're, we're not just going to grow forever. Like, there's going to be times that we lose customers. Um, that was scary. And it was sad. I think, you know, everybody who was on the team was like, we were in mourning about it. And it was like, oh, gosh this really sucks. People aren't just going to stay forever. Um, what do we, and then immediately you get into what, what, what do we learn? What can we do better next time? How much of this was us? How much of this was them? And um, how can we learn from it? But that was probably the first, you know, uh, <laughs> bubble burst. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think your guys' reactions, it shows that you really love the problem, that you're really trying to build something to be there for the long term. That's, that's great. So uh, what book do you recommend for, for early SaaS founders? So many. I'm a big reader. I love audiobooks and real books. Um, I There's two kind of ends of the spectrum. One is um, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. I love her so much. Um, and then another one is, it's called, oh man, Venture Deals. It's called Venture Deals by Brad Feld. Um, and if you're going to be venture-backed, if you're not going to be venture-backed, then you don't really need it. But if you're getting into the world of venture capital, uh, it's, I remember in the earliest days, it was a really helpful book for me to understand some of the terminology and just kind of what I was getting into. Um, so yeah, kind of two ends of the spectrum. One is like venture financing for, for beginners, for beginning founders. And the other one is Dare to Lead, which is um, making sure that you're building and growing a team from a place of wholeheartedness and in real genuine leadership. That's great. So let's, let's go deeper on like learning about venture. Cause I, I think I, I, I do the same. Every time I'm going to a new thing, I find a book about it and then I learn a lot of stuff. So what did you learn about venture and, and from the book and now from being a venture back company for three years, uh, what are some things that you learn and that you, you think you wish you knew when the things started? One, I mean, we jumping into a venture studio. This was this was where we 
we started, right? So it wasn't really a choice of like, I don't know, I've been bootstrapping it this long. Maybe I should go, maybe I should get some venture capital or not. And a lot of people have to make that choice. But for us, we we got on this path from day one. Um, but I have talked to many other founders and and I think it's important to know that it's it's a very different path. I mean, there are very, the the opportunity to accelerate is real and it's awesome and you can grow a lot faster. Um, but also the expectation and, and the bar is set a lot higher for how much you're going to be able to grow. Um, it takes some of the things off the table for some, some founders have the ability to say, okay, this is how fast we're going to grow. This is how slow we're going to grow. This is, this is how, this is the pace at which we're going to take things. Um, venture changes that. And um, like I said, it's, it's a real beautiful, amazing opportunity to accelerate. Um, but that comes with a bar set really high. And I think that that's really important to know before you get into it. Um, and then I would say also just the people that you partner with really matter. Um, the people that provide that venture capital, the, the investors, you got to make sure that you really like, and I, I love our investors and they believe in the vision and we align on the opportunity ahead. And, um, that's really important because you hear, you hear great stories and also horror stories all the time about investors that come in and, um, don't align and then it can be really tough and it can be a lot of pressure. But, um, so the importance of finding investors that believe in you, that share the, that share the vision and that, um, see the same opportunity ahead that you do as a founder, super important. Could you share some of your target growth, like being a venture company? So like, what's the percent of growth? What's the churn? What, what are some of the numbers that you could share about like that the very high bar that you have and that you guys are, are, are trying to, to, to achieve? Well, I, I would, but I think it's, it's one, it's, it's changing, especially now with the recession, right? And two, it's different for every company and every industry. So, um, but I think super broadly speaking, um, you know, people are talking about 1x, 2x, 10x, 50x growth. Um, I mean, that happens in venture. It's it's not a matter of like, hey, can we grow by 20% next year? It's like, can you double? Can you triple? Can you quadruple next year? I mean, that's that those are that's the difference. It's exponentially different um, when you when you get venture capital fuel. It's expected that that you know you're gonna fan that flame, um, and so that rapid growth becomes an expectation um, that I'm assuming. I mean, like I said, I've, I've been venture-backed all along, but when when that's not on the table and when you can grow at a different pace because you're bootstrapped, um, it's just it's just different. It's a completely different set of, it's a different context, um, a different set of uh, um, accelerators and um, levers that you need to pull to, to get to where you need to go. Yeah, I think it's a different game, and you have to like the game. And, and, oh and my it, gosh, you have to be obsessed with the game. <laughs> it, it feels like you love the game. Being in the venture, it's like this is like you choose your journey, you chose yours. That's the game you're playing. Um, but you just like, could you share sometimes where like, okay, we're not gonna get to that projection side. Like, how did you handle? How did you change? How, how, what did you make it to to make sure? you got there or if you didn't get it, how did you manage the expectations of your investors? Because like, it, it seems like they're very happy and you guys have a great relationship. And I think that's all about managing expectations too, yeah. because sometimes you just don't get where we think you're going to get. For sure. So how you do that? Especially right now, especially in recession times, right? Um, somebody told me early on, and I absolutely believe this to be true as well, is that um, you have to be super duper open with your board and with your investors. Um, and I, I agree with that. I think that 
Uh, you know, good news is easy to share and bad news doesn't age well, right? So there's, <laughs> you know, if, if you, now that doesn't mean every time you have a close, a, a prospect, you know, say thanks, but no thanks, you don't call up your board and say, they said no. Um, <laughs> but when you see trends, when you start to see patterns, when you have something, when you start to feel like, I don't think we're going to hit that number. I don't, I don't think this person's going to work out. I don't think this customer is going to stay. I don't, I, I don't think dot, dot, dot. It's important to use those as opportunities to lean into your board, not hide from and say, look, this is this is me as a leader being confident in my ability to see down the path and around the corner. And here's something that I think I see that has me concerned or excited. Here's an opportunity down there that I think that we should pursue, which possibly means an investment in a different area or a change in what we're building or what we're growing to. That's what your board is looking for in you is um, for you to have a command enough of the business and what's happening and what could happen, good or bad, and bring them into it. And I always tell them, like, look, I, help me see around my blinders. Help me see my blind spots because I'm super passionate and I'm seeing things from this perspective. You know, you as a board and as my investors are seeing it from the outside in, you have other data points from other portfolio companies and from the market that I don't. Um, what are we where are we heading and what do we need to see and what do we need to do together? And I think that that seeing it as a partnership is super important. Um, tapping into the collective wisdom of your board is also important. And remembering that as the founder, it's on you to communicate um, what's happening in the business. Otherwise, they don't know or they don't know until it's too late, right, to either fix what could be broken or to capitalize on an opportunity. Yeah, and I think that's like, in addition to the money, one of the biggest values that they're going to bring, right? The people in your board, they have experience, they, they have seen stuff. And if you can, instead of being afraid of them, leverage them and say, hi, guys, I have a problem. I'm here, help me. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you know, like, what's going on? How can you help me? I think that's the, the, the right approach. So let's talk about the future. We talk about a lot uh, where you, you come from and about the orange story, but how do you see the future for your company and where you guys are going? Yeah. So to me, I mean, um, the, the entire company is built on this vision for what the future of B2B marketing should look like, right? Um, the entirety of my career has been uh, leveraging a playbook for B2B marketing and content marketing that has since become outdated. Um, it's all built on written content and blogs and algorithms and, um, you know, those things all have their place 100%, but they they don't take into account the opportunity for, for connection and, and for creativity and for re building relationships and establishing trust that comes with content like this, podcast and video content. Um, and if you don't put that at the center, you're really missing an opportunity. And in order to put it at the center, you need to be able to use it across other channels and measure its impact on the business. And that's what Casted does. Um, and we're introducing to the world this, this methodology called Amplified Marketing that I really think is that new playbook that uh, the world of B2B marketing needs. And so to me, that's the future, is, is introducing and, and really starting and growing this conversation around Amplified Marketing and then pointing to Casted as the way to make it happen. Um, I think that we can become a a big successful company um, that delivers a lot of value to B2B brands around the world um, and hopefully is a really great company to work for along the way.
So kind of like HubSpot introduced inbound, you're trying to introduce Amplify marketing. Is that That's correct? Literally exactly the words that I use all the time. Um, I'm a HubSpot <laughs> junkie and you know they're a customer of ours and we're a customer of theirs and, and we're great partners. And you know, they changed my life. It's, it's not an understatement, an overstatement to say that they changed my life by introdu- introducing inbound marketing. My career was different because HubSpot introduced something called inbound marketing. My my career took on a went down the inbound marketing path, and I became a different marketer because of it. Um, and they had a bunch of part agency partners that they called inbound marketing agencies. And to us, um, the opportunity to say, okay, HubSpot introduced inbound and built an entire category around it and also built this partner ecosystem. Um, Casted is also going to introduce amplified marketing as this category and as this methodology, um, provide a lot of value to a lot of companies in this methodology and in the platform that we created. And also we're building a partner network of amplified marketing partners um, that actually just rolled out this week. So um, yes, very similar to, to that approach to the world. Yeah. I think for like other founders, you can always think about what, because you can learn from other companies and you can replicate it in a different market. And that's basically kind of like what you're doing. Like everyone knows the HubSpot success. And like you say, it's life changing. Uh, and now you're like, okay, let me do this again, but in here. Uh, and I think that's again, why I, I like to do this show because when people are listening to you, they, they can learn from you and they can apply the same thing now in other market uh, that maybe they are the industry expert. Uh, Lindsay, thank you very much for taking the time to be with me on the show today. I think there was a lot of uh, golden nuggets here for our listeners. Thank you so much for the conversation. This was uh, super fun. Thank you. SaaS Origin Stories is brought to you by DevSquad. To find out more about how we help entrepreneurs launch new products and help larger businesses plug in a ready-to-go development team, visit devsquad.com. Add us to your rotation by searching for SaaS Origin Stories in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click follow so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening. And remember, every SaaS hero has an origin story.